0: Welcome to Revenue Harvest, a podcast about the fundamentals of sales leadership. Did you know most sales teams don't hit their sales targets and you can't afford to miss yours? This podcast will give you the answer to questions that will help you lead your team better, consistently exceed your sales targets, and make the most of your career. I'm your host, Nigel Green, and the whole idea behind these conversations is to learn from people who can make you a better sales leader. Let's get started. All right. In this episode, we get to hear from Ted Olson with the Predictive Index. I was first introduced to the Predictive Index in 2012. You're thinking, what's the Predictive Index? Well, the Predictive Index is a talent management and optimization tool. It's really quite fascinating. Why is this important to you? Well, if you remember in the book, Revenue Harvest, I tell you, if you're hiring people and you're not doing some type of personality test, you're going to get it wrong. Or if they do work out, you're going to be lucky. The best sales leaders in their sales process use some type of personality test. I really don't care what tool you use. Actually, I think you should use the predictive index, but I really more care that you use a tool. If you're not using a tool, use one. And if you're considering or wondering, what tool do I use? You're going to love hearing from Ted because he's going to tell you a little bit about the predictive index. Uh, I think it's an incredible tool, not just for salespeople. I think if you really want to know how to get the most out of the people on your team, you need something like this to uh, show you how to coach them, how to lead them, and to make sure they're a good fit for the job that you've hired them to do. So Ted, he leads the rapidly expanding partner activation channel at the Predictive Index. So not only are we going to talk about the tool, but let me tell you this. Ted built the direct sales team. At PI. That's right. He's not just going to tell you about a tool that's going to make you a better leader. He's one of us. In fact, Ted, as the sales leader, broke every single record at Predictive Index over its 65-year history. 65 years of crushing sales. Ted comes in, breaks them all. He uh, has his own sales framework and methodology. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in this episode. It's really a fascinating conversation. Ted's done a lot over his career, uh, his framework, he thinks, is uh, really for anyone uh, that really sees himself as a seller or not. Uh, he talks about, look, we're in a storm, and we talk about how B players don't survive the storm. We talk about how in the same way that your favorite sports team or um, your, you know, a lot of the big companies that you admire, how they're using data to understand players that they put on the field uh, in different positions, and you're going to get to see how you may not be using data about your people to the extent you can. Uh, we talk about selling in a virtual environment, which, look, all of us are thrusted into that now. If, if you have a sales team that's not selling virtually uh, or at least knows how to, uh, I think you're missing a lot of opportunities. So we go, we go deep. Uh, we cover a lot of people and a lot of data stuff. And I think you're going to hear from Ted that you're missing some opportunities to better use data to learn about the people that you have in place on your team. Let's go check in with my man, Ted Olson. Ted, welcome to Revenue Harvest. How are you today?
1: Doing well, Nigel. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. So it's um, at, at the time that we're recording this, it's uh, the end of the first half of the year. And a lot of people that I uh, work with are—they're getting ready to. They've already thought through how they want to redeploy or pivot their sales team, and they're getting ready to Mm -hmm. embrace what some type of reopening strategy in in the future. And a lot of my clients are realizing that the role that they had defined for their sales team or their sales manager has shifted, Mm -hmm. um, and that some of their top performers that really thrived on uh, relationships and being eyeball to eyeball with, what their customers are, are struggling uh, to, struggling to handle being quarantined, struggling to um, sit in front of a zoom screen all day. And m- my advice to them is maybe it's worth um, rethinking what a successful seller, what a successful sales manager is going to look like given these unavoidable realities. What's your take on that?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a, a very real and accurate um, description of many folks today who have, as you mentioned, relied on their ability to think on their feet, relied on that face-to-face um, interaction, which whenever, of course, whenever you can get face-to-face in a selling scenario, is, what, is that's where you want to be. Uh, your close rates, I forget the stats, but they, they go through the roof. Um, so, yeah, I think that you have a lot of folks who are now you know, struggling to adapt um, their presentation, their ability to ask good questions in a virtual environment because it's a different medium. And uh, to be able to pivot and do it quickly and do it well is, um, is challenging for many. That said, I do believe that the digital environment is ideal for really sharpening and honing your sales skills because you can use data you can use um, talk time interaction time patient scores there's so many tools on the market that allow you to measure the number of questions you're asking the number of pauses you're taking all of those things that can really make you someone who is not just doing the typical um, non-stop chattering of a salesperson which in a face-to-face conversation, you might not pick up on it because a lot of conversations do have that. But when you're measuring it, you can actually see, um, no, it's actually not good at all. You didn't let the, the prospect talk. You jumped on their question. You stepped on this. You stepped on that. So that would be my, my first sort of um, foray into digging into this. The other challenge is not all seat salespeople. So feel free to push back on me. But not, uh, but some salespeople. I would say, when we think of the typical salesperson, they are an extrovert. They like to be up in front of the room. They like to talk. They like that social interaction. They enjoy it, and they're now working in a virtual environment that is not not feeding that that real need that they have, and so many are suffering from depression. They are suffering from I can't get my my mojo happening. It's just, it's not working for me. And so helping them find their way through that is really important right now.
0: Yeah, it's, it's unavoidable. And and if you have to have your head in the sand not to see it. So um, what do you say to the sales leader that says, okay, this is me, Ted, I'm raising my hand. I've got, I've got top performers that are struggling. They're, They're telling me that all these reasons and standing in the way of them being successful. What's the first step I need to take?
1: yeah good question. Um, I, I, I'm not one to um, you know when I'm hearing things that these are the things that are standing in my way, I see that as opportunities and we want to make sure that we're open to the new reality that's in front of us. So if we're sort of sort of saying, I used to tell the story of a um, um, of, of the difference between an a player and a B player. An A player, will say, or let's talk about the B player. We'll be very familiar with the B player. The B player will say this, saying, hey, I I, I can't function in this, in this environment. I, I just, I, I can't get my rhythm going. I, I can't get my call cadence right. Um, prospects aren't responding like they used to. Um, the, the environment's really difficult. And it is, without a doubt. Um, you know, we're, uh, we're hit now. It's First, it was COVID-19. Now we have you know, political unrest with a divided country. We have social unrest over uh, Black Lives Matter. We have, um, you know, an economic collapse. And you can sort of just, all of that is true. And that's what a B player, that's how a B player thinks. But what a leader needs to do is set the bar at an A player, which, which sounds something like this an A player is going to say, huh. Well, I don't really like this reality, but what if I did this? And what if I did this? And what if I tried that? And it's, uh, it comes, I, I learned this from, from some other great sales leaders, but it's really highlighted in um, the book uh, called Mindset. And I'm, the, the author is escaping my memory right now. Um, but a great book on in terms of how you approach things. And if you have, as a sales leader, if your if your your top performers are coming to you with a list of what I would call B player excuses, the first thing is to set the tone that that's not okay. That's the first thing to do.
0: What you did um, just then, Ted, is I think you highlighted what I'm seeing a, a lot of in the marketplace is. B players, sales leaders that are coming to the executive team and saying, how am I supposed to hit these numbers? Uh, All the things that you just listed stand in the way of my team being able to be successful. And and so this is, you've set it up perfectly. So now how do I be an A player sales leader? You said A players think, well, I could do this or I could do that. Um, and, And more specifically, when it comes to rethinking the role? Because the goals are, you you would be in the lucky few that got some type of quota relief as a result of this. Um, The the reality is they expect you to hit a number and make meaningful progress period over period. So you have to do something differently. So now we know that the team that we have may not be able, uh, behaviorally or naturally adaptive to do this do this, being selling in a virtual environment. What are some things a sales leader can do that might help them grasp what success looks like in the second half of 2020?
1: Yeah, and I, I think it would be disingenuous to say that, you know, I think that organizations that are saying, hey, we have to hit these numbers and and they're not going to change at all from given the economic situation that we're in, that is disingenuous. Like, it's like, okay, I can't do that. And I think that's fair. I do think, though, as sales leaders, we would need to step in and say, here's what we can do, right? We think this would be our stretch and this would be your safe bet. And my guess is we're going to land somewhere in the middle. I think we need to sort of cast some vision and say, hey, based on the best data that we have... On the current economic climate, we have to look, and um, uh, uh, we have to we have to look and forecast based on some new numbers. I think that's a reality. If we're if we're saying we're going to hit the same, I don't think that that's actually possible, unless you're going to just gut your sales team, and you know work on a on a skeleton staff to cut the, on the cost side. Um, but I do think that. You know, it is up to the sales leader to say, hey, the situation has changed dramatically where it's unclear on what the future holds. But based on the data that we do have so far, you know, based on, you know, the re- reduced number of leads, uh, number of clothes lost, increased, um, etc., cetera, uh, we can begin to project and forecast some new numbers and figure out some creative approaches that will help us find our way through the storm. So I think what everyone is looking for is help navigating the storm. And right now, B players are not going to last in this storm. They're going to be, they're going to be siphoned out as my, as my, um as my gut, you know, it's that. Your gut's right. And I think
0: you've been talking a lot about data, the data there is there to support it. Right. So, um, okay, so I, I, love, I love where you're, you're going with that. So now I have this responsibility as a leader to come back to my management team and say, okay, let's let's meet in the middle. Here's some, some data-informed realities that we need to think through, and here's what I'm thinking about doing. It, it should be, a piece of that plan should be recognizing what you need from your sellers, uh, what the day should look like, redefining KPIs uh, for the sake of aligning them with this new plan. You with me? Mm -hmm. You're very skilled in in the predictive index, uh, work a lot on that product. What's at stake for the sales leader that tries to go about this endeavor of remodeling a go-forward plan with new performance indicators, new roles and responsibilities without making sure that they've got the right people on the team to actually execute the plan?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think that um, I wouldn't be as um, effective, not even close, without the data that I have. So I've used a tool. As you mentioned the predictive index to build the sales team at pi um and that sales team broke every record in the 65 year history of the company um and it did it more than once more than twice it did it six times well
0: well let's say that again so you use the predictive index to build a sales team for the company that sells the tool so use your own tool to level up your talent you broke every record in the 65-year hist- the history of the company, not once, not twice, six times. Correct. All right. Let's talk about that.
1: Yeah, it's not – and it's not – it wasn't me, right? I was just – I had the data. I mean I have sales experience. I have um, a lot I bring to the table. But when you take a great sales leader, heck, when you take a good sales leader – I'll put myself in the category of a good sales leader – And then you give them the power of a tool of like what PI can do. Well, suddenly they're able to build a winning team. So the same way – here's how the way I think about it. The same way that professional sports uses uh, data and stats to understand which players to put on the field, in which order, in which position, working on the same goals to deliver on the goal, whatever that goal is, a touchdown or whatever – that's what that's what they uh, that's what we do when we think of building an amazing sales team. So we could just as easily be a product team, it could be the whole organization. I mean that's what it's this discipline of talent optimization, which is the idea of using data to understand your people so you understand what naturally resonates with them so you can tap into those superpowers. And in every every sales environment is different. So in our environment, we were able to map out what we needed um, in our context with our products and services that we sell, and the clientele that we're selling to. We knew the type of individual that we needed to bring in. Um, and not every sales environment is the same. So if we're talking about you know maybe high tech medical sales with lots of government regulation, um, you might need a different behavioral style to operate really well in that environment. So having that data gives us the um, uh, superpowers that uh, I think other sales organizations and other organizations just don't have. So that would be the sort of secret weapon that has made me look better than I would be if I was just out there all by myself.
0: So then and I know it's nuanced right you talked about a high tech like medical type person versus maybe a, a lower sophisticated product but in general Ted are there themes or um, distinctions about people that that you found that say this, this type of seller is going to be more effective in a virtual environment versus they really thrive on being in front of someone?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, the answer is absolutely. We can see that in the data. and so And we can even see that with our existing sales team. So the question becomes, knowing that about your sales team, Uh, you have a number of options. One, you can help them find those windows of interaction in a virtual world and what that looks like.
0: So what do you Um, mean by windows of interaction?
1: So if you're thinking about your tip, let's talk about the typical salesperson, who's that person that's naturally persuasive, Uh, someone like yourself, you know, you're easy to talk to, you're easygoing, you can pivot and think on your feet. Um, You're naturally persuasive, you can show up at a party and probably talk to everyone at the party. Is that fair?
0: Yeah, sometimes I don't want to, but yeah. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, it depends on what party you're at. But that's that's the stereotypical salesperson. Now, what I was what I was referencing earlier is not every environment calls for that. So there are some sales systems and some sales environments that are so sort of operationalized and process-driven that you actually need a different type of person to be super effective in that environment. And I'm happy to go down that rabbit hole. But the more typical, a stereotypical salesperson of the person who needs that social interaction, it feeds their soul. It it feeds a real need of, of having that connection with people. And so when you lose a lot of that in a virtual environment, so what we do here is we set up fun time. We set up chat time. We set up drink time at certain hours with the team. So they're just connecting, chatting. Um, we do what's called skip level meetings, where we are um, interacting with different people at different levels in the organization. So it's not just the team. So you're getting a more, um, more access to others in the company. Uh, that's what I mean when I mean open other, other avenues of connection. Got it.
0: Okay, so the, you you have to identify those windows, and is there anything else that the data shows about uh, individuals that are likely to perform better in a in a virtual environment versus needing the variety of traveling around and seeing customers in in the flesh?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. You know, depending on how long we're we're in this world, and for me, I mean. Most of the experts are saying that, you know, the world of work has essentially changed forever. We're gonna probably be seeing a lot more remote work. It's cheaper, it's easier, and those who do it well have um, similar or sometimes even higher close rates than those out in the field. Um, And so, yes, there are behavioral um, drives that you can recognize. Uh, and I'm able to pick up with PI software uh, that helps me understand who are those that are, can really struggle in an environment, in a virtual environment, who are those that are perfectly capable of functioning at a very high level in a remote environment. I happen to be one of them. I actually, I'm perfectly content working in the office with others. I'm also perfectly content being alone and just working in my office by myself.
0: And so the the predictive index has 17 reference profiles uh, that basically every one of us takes a little test and it puts us into a reference profile that says, this is your natural behavior. This is how you tend to be. Uh, This is how that tends to shift when you feel like you're being observed. And then there's a synthesis. And then there are I'm imagining, right, so we're, we're getting deep into the tool now, but I'm imagining that if, if I were a sales leader thinking about, well, maybe I need some type of mechanism to help me understand uh, how my people need to change to go forward, because of all the reasons we've been talking about, I'm assuming that you're looking for a certain type of, of shift in, in what, you, what you have now versus what you would need um, in it with a virtual sales team. Right, so the, the, you expect that maybe the entire anatomy of the of a person, it, it might be a different, com, completely different reference profile. Not just subtleties. We're talking maybe big shifts.
1: Yeah, it's a good question, Nigel. I think that that is something that when you have the data and you can see what the needs of the organization are, you can identify those gaps. Um, that said. We very much are about honoring people and recognizing that no one was predicting something like well i shouldn't say that people knew that a covid nineteen something like it was coming, but no one saw this coming <laughs> um, The idea that I'm, I'm I think i'm alluding to is given the times, and many organizations, Nigel, are under a hiring freeze so they don't they may not even have the luxury of augmenting their sales force with maybe um, um, behavioral profiles that are are more naturally suited for this environment that said I think the I think that is an option to consider but I also think the the real the real opportunity we have in front of us is to actually use this virtual environment to make our sales team even better so we tend to focus on oh they're not just as we started the conversation, I can't do this. It's like, well, tell me why you can't do it, right? What is it about it that you're wrestling with? That what, what made you so great in the field and what's the difference now and how can you, um, how can you adapt in this environment? Because that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about adapting. And when we have the data that helps us understand how people are naturally wired, so, think about I'm horrible with sports, but I always use sports analogies because I think a lot of people get them. and that is, um imagine having you know a, um, somebody who played first base, suddenly you need to move them to second base. Well, they obviously understand the fundamentals of the game, but there are differences in first and second base. There's just and i don't I don't claim to know them. But what I would claim to know is, Based on that individual's first – based on the stats of that first baseman's um, history, based on their stats, how they're wired, I would be able to coach them accordingly to, to step into the second base. It's the same thing in our environment today. Based on how you're naturally wired, based on how you think and work, here's where you're going to struggle in this environment, but here's where you're naturally gifted as well. right? Don't. It's not always like just you can't do it. It's – Here's where you're going to struggle, and we get that, and here's how I can open some opportunities for you to um, stretch your legs a bit to the best of my ability.
0: So let's go here for a second. Um, maybe somebody's listening to this, and they're they're saying, I'm struggling. Like I, I'm not doing – I'm not hitting my numbers. I'm having a hard time. My company has been gracious to keep me. I'm safe, but I've got to perform. How do – how do I use something like the PI to be more self-aware about how I need to um, help myself be successful, right? So like, how do I coach myself and how do I take ownership in finding ways to uh, think about my new reality and marry that with where it's, it may be really misaligned with how I naturally like to work?
1: Yeah, that is, a, um, that is a real question that people have to wrestle with. Um, and what you're tapping into there is self-awareness. So a large part of what uh, the tools that we use offer is this understanding of how we're naturally wired and what our natural gifts are, what, what makes us, what drives us, and where we're most comfortable. Um, and essentially we think of it as the world of work and we can plot someone and help them understand not only where they live in the, in the world of work. So for example, um, you might have a salesperson who's just that natural, um, innovative type, willing to go out there, take risk, you know, pound on doors, pick up the phone, and that's how they're naturally suited. But suddenly in a, in a, in a virtual world, it's a little different. There needs to be a lot more process. Um, and a lot more, um, you don't have as much flexibility and that's what they, that's what they really enjoy and they thrive in that flexibility. So when you remove that, it's a, um, it's a challenge for that particular individual. And so understanding that, Hey, I get it, that, you know, you're, you're essentially at least for the, at least for the foreseeable future, you're working out of preference So what can we do to come alongside you to um, continue to tap into your natural strengths? So if you are that innovative type, if you are that person who thinks on their feet, well, what could you do creatively in this digital world? What could you do differently that could have a real impact and make that connection digitally um, with your prospect? Right? Is it video? Is it the way you set up your slide deck? Is it the, is it the questions you ask? Um, because you have to change because the medium has changed. I
0: think uh, you hit on something uh, about process. I, I read recently that 50% of sales organizations don't have a defined sales process. Of the half that do, you give your sellers a 33% better chance Of being uh, at quota, so attaining quota. It sounds like uh, this is coming from someone who's bashed the company record six times in a row. There's there is a strong element of virtual selling in what you do, and I know there's a process. What speak to those that are maybe wondering if maybe this if this whole virtual shift is going to force them to have a written defined process. What, what have you seen? What are the benefits of doing that, especially in this virtual world?
1: Yeah, I think that is an opportunity, Nigel. I think that you're pointing to, um, you know, for in, in great economic conditions, you're, you're probably free to essentially operate without a playbook. Um, but when times are tight and things shift – And you need more process and procedure, and you need some infrastructure, and you need to scale. uh, You got to have a playbook. And I think you're right. I think those those stats you quoted, uh, I I recall seeing similar numbers. Um, So very, we very much follow a playbook. And I've written the 90 page playbook. I've written that nobody reads. I've written the 30 page playbook. And that still nobody reads, but they're like, "Oh, okay, great." And it wasn't until I learned to write from one of my uh, amazing sales mentors, the one-page playbook, the one-page playbook that shows you the steps that you go through from, you know, initial touch to closed one. Um, that is what really makes the difference. And I've had to adapt my playbooks for the virtual world. So I had all my playbooks prior to. COVID 19, and I just opened up my one pager and I had to change my decks. I had to change some of the talk tracks uh, because we're in a virtual world.
0: I think it's great that you have a one page playbook. Can I? I'm wondering, my gut says Ted couldn't have written a one page playbook without writing the 90 page playbook. And the reason I want to go there is I think so many leaders here, I'll, I'll just write a one page playbook. But I'm wondering, I think that, to me, is hiding behind not doing the the deep work that's required to understand everything that goes into the way your customers want to buy. So could you have written that one-page playbook without thinking through a 90-page playbook?
1: No, no way. Now, and, and th- that said, you don't need to write a 90-page playbook to write a, a one-page. You know, you could probably do it in 15, 20, but it should be a really thoughtful step-by-step, step, help me understand what you say and when and how and to whom and to and why you're saying it. Uh, what, are the, what are the sales plays that you run when this happens, when this happens? All of that needs to be spelled out. Yeah, so I mean,
0: that that's the, yeah, that, like you said, doesn't have to be 90 pages, but 90 pages represents a level of depth and thoughtfulness that uh, you must seek uh, in order to to build a one-page playbook. So what goes into a, an effective playbook from your perspective?
1: Um, so the roles and responsibilities are really clear. The accountability is clear. Um, the, uh, the steps are clear. So that, you know, if you're at this step, then you should be expected to be running this playbook, these plays. Um, the, again, using professional sports, the same way that, hey, here's where we are in the game. Here's the plays we can run, and based on reading the field, you know you give your reps enough autonomy and flexibility to run the plays that you know are successful. Uh, the other thing that you know is, is really is part of the playbook as well is role play. So we we role play weekly, and role play reinforces those plays. Role play allows that safe environment to practice and to get feedback from your peers. I read a stat. Um, last year that talked about 70% of salespeople learn peer-to-peer. They're learning from their peers. And so if you don't have a playbook that everyone's operating off, then what happens is you have um, you know, one sales rep doing it one way, another one doing it another way. Uh, and you don't have enough continuity and consistency to train and grow your team in a way that's most effective.
0: 70% learn peer to peer. And so when you said that, I'm thinking I'm thinking of the leader that's neglecting the role playing or has never really institutionalized it in their playbook and they don't realize how that role playing is being achieved uh, without them even knowing it. So a couple examples are you got an inside sales team, your sellers are listening to their peers, have real conversations when they're in between calls. Or even when they're you know on hold, there are all these different organic instances where they are subconsciously role playing just by listening. And in the outside world, you do ride-alongs, you do shadows. That that's something that just happens naturally. How do you how do you shift to role play now? Like wh- what's your guidance to someone that says, "Oh man, we need a role play. How do we do it when everyone's in different buildings?"
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It's actually easier now because you can record everything. And, and as long as you get permission, you can record your calls. And so we have tape review sessions. So we'll review um, certain elements of our calls. So on the direct team, we would be um, reviewing BDR's interactions that they have with prospects. Uh, how did that call go? Were you able to get through your, your talk tracks? Did you have, you know, what was your patient score? Are you listening um, were you actively listening or you're not? Because it's just so clear when you're listening to it. It's like, why did you say that? <laughs> you know? um, and we have a very unique feedback system that I'm, that I'm happy to share. So it creates that safe environment. Uh, so tape review is super important and why I actually love the virtual environment because you get the data. Um, and then role plays allows you to, to train and, and practice just the same way professional sports, scrimmages, right? They, they practice. They run the plays over and over and over again until everyone's a master at it.
0: Let's talk about the patient score, because what I see a lot of in the virtual, in the Zoom world we live in is a lot of talking over each other. And it's hard because you can't, it's harder to read the body language, especially if someone has their video turned off and they've got just the, you know, an image of themselves or nothing. So what goes into your patient score? Because I'm wondering if it influences uh, or if it helps, mitigates, if you will, the number of instances where your sellers are talking over the customer.
1: Yeah, that's a, gr- a great question. Uh, and it also goes right back to behavioral profiles. You, there are those who are um, many the, of the folks that we traditionally call salespeople, those that are you know uh flexible, quick on their feet, talkative, persuasive, all the great things that make make people great sellers and easy to talk to um, they they do uh, sort of jump on what the prospect says and it can be exacerbated in a in a virtual call and so we we practice something called the power pause or the strategic pause, where we have them do everything from put a sign on their computer that says, shut up, to pause, to um, this acronym wait, why am I talking, um, to help them remember to uh, uh, to exercise that power pause. And at the same time, we build into our scripts and our talk tracks uh, the right questions that at their ownership questions. So they're not, they have, we have sort of avoid the yes and no questions and get right to those ownership questions that um, allow the prospect that freedom to speak so that the sales representative can stop and pause and be actively listening.
0: So I used to work uh, for an addiction treatment center and led a sales team for that company. And so got exposed to a lot of different types of, behavioral and clinical (laughs) interventions and processes. And one of the things that uh, we took from our clinical team, those that gave care to the patients, and we took and institutionalized it in the sales team. And I'm I'm curious, I'll kind of want you to even try it sometime. When, When we noticed that someone was talking over a prospect or was real quick to speak, we would encourage them to sit with their hands on their knees, palms facing the sky. And that shift in body language of just putting your hands on your knees with your palms up, I don't know why, but it slows you down and it causes you to just be a little bit slower to speak.
1: Love it. Yeah, body body posture, eye contact, um, hands in your lap, uh, reminders to yourself, and learning to get comfortable in that awkward silence, because in, in the digital world, there's also that, 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 de- that delay, there's like a quarter of a second delay sometimes, depending on the, the line that you're on. And you really need to, um, right out of the gate, be practicing that pause because if you come in, like a lot of salespeople do into their conversations and they come in and they just go right into presentation mode, and then it just comes off like a lecture, that prospect is going to very quickly feel like this is not a safe environment for me to talk. And so part of our playbook is to actually create that safe environment. There are strategic questions placed throughout each stage of the process. So whether we're in the um, initial uh, uh, you know, elevator pitch stage, there are p- strategic pauses. If we're in the exploring need phase, we are asking questions that Get to the you know the third level of pain to get way under the surface, and when we're in especially in presentation mode, we are asking ownership questions questions that engage and pull the prospect along to make sure that this is indeed what they were looking to looking for to solve their challenges.
0: So, as uh, we bring this to a close, uh, I can't speak enough about the predictive index and how it's helped. Me as a leader and and a number of my clients, uh, most all of them use it not only to select talent, but to as an ongoing uh, coaching tool and a way to understand gaps that you might have in the leadership team. What would you point someone that if they were interested in just maybe discovering a little bit more about the tool, what's a resource you would point them to, Ted?
1: I'd point them to someone like yourself, uh, you know, not to promote you on your own podcast, but you really have the, um, I mean, if they want to float around the predictiveindex.com and and there's a variety of resources that um, are there and available, but I think having a conversation with someone like yourself and how you use it, especially if it's a sales context. uh, And I should be clear, this is, when we think about the Predictive Index. The Predictive Index is a talent optimization company. We do work with sales teams, but we really work with the whole organization. So whether that's the executive team or the engineering team or the customer service team or the product team, um, all of those need to be optimized so the organization is is humming. So the organization is fully optimized. Uh, And when, when they work with partners like yourself, they are able to roll that out a lot do start with the sales team because that's often where their their bread and butter is, and it's it's very easily measurable when it's not going well. Uh, and they'll start there and then they'll begin to roll it out in the organization. So yeah, I think a conversation is um, and you know what they're trying to do, what they hope to hope to get to, what their goals are, and uh, check it out, yeah.
0: Yeah, if someone wanted to uh, reach out to you, uh, what's the best way to do that?
1: Uh, hit me on LinkedIn. I'm happy. That's probably the easiest. Perfect. I'm happy to I'll give you my email, too.
0: Yeah, well, Ted, thanks so much for everything. I really appreciate uh, your thoughts on process, the playbooks, to behavioral style, and even the. I'm, I'm really walking away with this patient score. So thank you so much, and um, look forward to seeing you soon.
1: Thanks, Nigel. Appreciate you. Appreciate your time and what you're doing.
0: All right. That's going to do it. Music from this episode is from my good buddy, Justin Adams. You can listen to Justin's music on Spotify or Apple Music. Thank you, Justin, for the music. And thank you for checking out another episode of The Revenue Harvest.